Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Welcome to After the Act, a film podcast where we talk about films and shows that we've watched. We are your hosts. I am Randy, here with... Swedish Hottie. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about Midsommar today, the sophomore directorial debut of Ari Aster, who's quickly becoming one of my new favorite directors. Um, so, Swedish Hottie... Let's hear your overview of Midsommar before we dive into spoilers. Well, first of all, man, I'm just having trouble with the pronunciation here. Is it pronounced Midsommar or Midsummer? Because I honestly <laughs> you know, don't I, know. I've asked like several people and they haven't given me a clear answer. Honestly, I think that's the, in the top 10 of controversies in this country is how people are pronouncing Midsommar or Midsummer. I'm on the side of Midsommar. I'm taking it very literal. I think it probably is Midsummer. Since it's a, like a summer movie, but Midsommar just seems 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 fitting. Okay. Well, which well, side do you, know, you fall just, on? Just to keep it lively and fresh, I'm going to spite you and just go mm. with Midsummer. That way, we cover all the okay. bo- the bases here on after the act. All right, yeah, that's fair enough. We're we're like representing the Midsommar people, the Midsummer people. I think some people call it like Midsummer, and I don't actually acknowledge them as people. Um, so we'll, we'll go with our two. I'll, I'll accept your Midsummer. Um, fair enough, man. Fair enough. So for me, honestly, I thought this was a fantastic film. Uh, actually it's Ari Aster's becoming just a household name for me, just like Jordan Peele. He is just coming out with bangers, man. Uh, honestly, Hereditary was one of my favorite horror films of 2018 and it's very close in my top 10 favorite horror films of all time. Uh, the way Ari Aster directs is absolutely brilliant. Everything is very meticulous, very thought out, and it's just incredible to me that he's able to create such depth with his characters and the way he sets up his scenes. Everything is so meticulously planned. Things in the background, they all have meaning and they all make sense once you reach the climax of the film. It's all brilliantly done, and uh, I honestly can't wait to see what projects he makes in the future. I know he did mention that the next thing he wants to do is comedy, Um, so... You know, I'm very excited, love his style, the way he uses lighting in both Hereditary and Midsummer is very unique. I feel like in a lot of ways they contrast one another. Uh, so without getting into too much spoilery material, all I can really say off the bat was it was, and I know you like to use this word, a bit of a slow burn. Things progress very slowly, but they never stop increasing in tension. And by the time you're done with the film, you just feel like you've suffered some deep post-traumatic stress-like trauma, um, but in the most beautiful and elegant way possible. And in the entire time of watching this film, you feel like you're in a fairy tale, like you're in a dream of some kind. The way Ari uses lighting, it just makes you feel like you're in a storybook. You're you're just watching these characters unfold in like a fairy tale-esque manner. So in a lot of ways, just a lot of contrast in this film is used to absolutely brilliant levels. 
you have uh, a really bright and sunny film uh, being contrasted by the really dark actions and the dark tone of the entire film. So absolutely stunning. Can't wait to get into the details here for the audience listening. But like I said, Ari Aster becoming one of my favorites. What do you think? I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, as soon as I heard this movie was coming, I was excited. It's I saw it like debut on Thursday night. And yeah, this this movie didn't disappoint at all. Not at all. Um I don't think I expected this movie. <laughs> I clearly don't share the same vision as Ari in general. But I I, can't, I didn't even fathom of this kind of movie being made. And this movie being made and me liking this movie. It's so bizarre. It's very unique, I feel, from um, Hereditary. Hereditary, I absolutely loved. And while Hereditary found a lot of the terror and trauma and the darkness, we saw, we see the same level of that in the daylight. You know, I've never been so scared of the sun. I um, mean, he uses every bit of that natural lighting. Um, you talk about there's so much in every single shot he's definitely leveled up his game of cinematography. He has an eye for things that things that could be shot mundane. Um, Breaking Bad, I think, was really good at taking a very average transitional scene of like someone shoveling or just doing some kind of work and using the camera in really unique ways so that you can always see a different perspective or at least be engaged while a transition scene is happening. And I feel like Ari had some of that style here where there will be just a normal scene that would have been shot pretty straightforward by literally everyone else. But Ari was like, you know what? Let's literally just turn the camera in a different direction just so they can get a perspective. There are some really good shots here. And the narrative I really like, I think it has a lot to say um, about um, relationships in general. Um, and I think it says it in really unique ways. And I, I mean, I really just can't wait to dive into spoilers here. So I'll just um, suffice to say, I, I love this movie. It took me a while to really grapple with what I think this movie was trying to say. But all in all, I really love this movie. So without further ado, let's dive into spoilers for Midsommar. So it's really long movie. I think the whole movie itself is about two and a half hours, which is just insane because it doesn't feel like two and a half hours when you're watching it. But... Right off the bat, I want to say two things. Ari Aster has a wonderful way of developing characters slowly but surely. You get a feel for the, the the unique personalities of every character in this film. And it's not until the very end that you find out that that's very much on purpose. Because each one of these characters is fulfilling a role uh, that is going to play a significant um, uh, purpose in the ritual that uh, the Midsummer Festival dwellers uh, will be enacting throughout the whole film so right off the bat I want to say what a gut-wrenching start to a film where you see the main character Danny freaking out about her sister uh, and not being able to get in touch with her and she tries to talk to her boyfriend about it but her boyfriend seems kind of you know indifferent he mentions that she always does this, yada, yada, yada. doesn't seem like he's that overly concerned. And then moments later, you realize that the sister actually killed herself and her parents 
and like some weird elaborate carbon monoxide poisoning incident and all you see like in hereditary is Danny crying her her eyes out on the lap of her boyfriend and it reminds me a lot of the scene where I forget what the kid's name in hereditary is who gets decapitated um but Tony Collette's character who by the way is absolutely brilliant in that film she is just on the floor. Oh, by the way, spoilers for Hereditary. We're going to naturally spoil that film. Of course. To talk about this one. <laughs> a little late, but spoilers for Hereditary because we're going to be comparing it constantly. Uh, but Tony Collette, Collette's character, she's just bawling her eyes out on the floor because her child just got decapitated. And you see that similarity with this movie where Danny is crying her eyes out over her dead sister. And... It works so well in both instances for these films because it starts off very dramatic, very dark, sets the tone for what you think will be the rest of the movie, and then it flips the script. You go from a dark intro sequence with snow falling and and a dark event occurring to everything else being really sunny up until the very end of the film, and it's that contrast that I just really love. Uh, Ari does a really good job of using it in the in the movie and just going we'll get into it a little bit later but Danny's character progression arc uh, is literally defined by just the lighting in this film and that's just one thing in the film that shows her character development was you know it starts off dark ends in the light with uh, some dramatic changes occurring from start to finish Uh, what about you man? Like just off of the beginning alone, what did you gauge from uh, from the overall message or the purpose of the film? I think one thing I learned um, after watching this film is that Ari Aster and his team, I think I understand their casting direction now and casting process. They, they, they find a bunch of candidates and they tell them to scream as loudly and as traumatizingly as possible. I think the one who can evoke the most tears from you wins. I'm pretty sure that's how their process is. I'm just guessing. I haven't seen that on paper, but it has to be because, um, yeah, the lead actress in this movie, she destroyed me within 15 minutes, you know? Um, you know, I guess spoilers for Upped as well, but legendary first 10 minutes of Up makes everyone cry. Everyone knows it. That's a go-to reference for how quick a movie can make you cry. And I feel like this movie was trying to top it. Um, I don't think there is too much, uh, wondering whether or not Danny's sister is actually going to kill herself or not. I feel like we're, we are totally in the viewpoint of the audience who's a little ahead of the characters. We're pretty sure something bad is going to happen. I understand this is a guy who made hereditary. <laughs> um, and like we mentioned, he's not afraid of, um, cutting deep when it comes to family relationships and the psychoses the most burdened one's face um so yeah the sister dies immediately she's wailing and that yeah that got to me again that was hearkening back to scenes we saw in hereditary where it, it haunts me to this day like you can imagine someone you know feeling that kind of pain and you being kind of helpless there um so yeah it was a great setup um and i love that that was a great enticing event just to thrust the narrative already to 11 like okay we just saw this really complicated murder suicide what else am i going to watch for like you mentioned the, like the other 2.25 hours 
Um, but he he takes it slow in a good way. He fills every shot with something. He had rituals where you're like, I don't even understand these ritual signs he's foreboding to us, how that's going to change the plot. Like, are you going to do everything that's in his ritual? Because that looks like you're cutting some pubes in someone's uh, solo cup there. This is a little fucked up, but yeah, he like this is a, a a weirder film than Hereditary, which is a really weird film. And I use weird in a positive way. It's just different. And I don't and beyond the cold open of the, the murder suicide, I'm pretty sure the rest of the movie is shot in the daylight. Um, it's shot in, you know, the, the Swedish looking backdrop area. And it looks beautiful. It looks like this is an actual civilization. That's what I loved about this film is that the world building, you just feel like, oh, yeah, there's a group of fanatic pagan people in Sweden who have archaic rituals. I'm not really sure how to describe those, but you believe it just by the set design. And I love that he took his time to, all right, this is going to be filmed in the daylight. I want to take advantage of that light medium and fill every shot with information whether it's just people who just seem like authentic people in this kind of cult or just, hey, here's foreboding images here and there. Here's someone like using their uh, menstruation to spicing up a drink in their ritual. We'll put that right on a tablet for you. You figure, that what the, figure out what that means later. Um, but I think my favorite thing about this film, and I think that's probably the, the main narrative piece we'll talk about, um, is the gaslighting, you know, it's very much a movie about gaslighting. Um, right in the beginning, Christian character tells Danny's character, hey, your sister does this all the time. She always fakes the suicide, vague stuff. You know, you're worrying yourself for nothing. Why are you letting her do this to you? And she believes him. It wasn't true. Um, he decides to go to Sweden without ever telling her. And, you know, he then turns it on her when she brings it up saying, oh, wow, like, I can't believe you're so angry about this. How dare you have feelings about me not telling you where I'm going to be for one and a half months? And then she feels bad and apologizes. He does this to other people throughout the film. So I really liked his his use of gaslighting because when you get to the end of it, it kind of shows this fantasy hyperbolism of what I would actually want to do to get out of this relationship. Like what is the hyperbole of my fantasy in this toxic relationship? What is the conclusion to set me free? Uh, So I think, yeah, my favorite part, I mean, shots are great. Um, There's a lot of cool use of lighting and set design, but I really love that narrative device. I really like the gaslighting thing. Um, Did did you catch on to that? Do, Do you feel like a lot of this movie was driven kind of about the plot of, some form form of gaslighting or maybe something else in entirely. Well, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, gaslighting is a huge theme in this. As a matter of fact, the whole movie, I think, is just one big metaphor for a really bad breakup, uh, which is where the gaslighting would come in. But also, man, don't you hate it when people just drop pubes in your drink and in your pie? And man, it's it's the worst. Dude, that's a, that's at least top seven um, just things I don't like, you know? What 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 would grind my gears? Definitely, at least number seven is uh, pubic hair. I think the only one right after that one is probably the period blood. I can't even imagine what the other ones are, but you know, people can be gross. It's not it's not a good taste. Not a good taste. 
let that be a, a, a note to any of our audience members listening currently. Never, ever do that on the first date. Maybe, maybe third date, maybe fourth date. Never on the first date. All right. Just don't, don't. Yeah. But also ask your partner if they would want to partake in that because that's something that should be asked. There needs to be consent. I agree. See, that that was another theme in this movie. There was there was a big issue with consent in this whole film. But uh, going back to like just the overall theme of the movie, definitely felt like it was about breaking up um, and just getting over a breakup. But just kind of not secondary, but another main theme that was parallel to that was just the fact of having control. Everything was about control in the movie. The entire time, the main character, Danny, she struggles with control. After that initial death of her sister and her family, the whole time she's trying to keep her composure. She's trying to, co- she's trying to control the outcome of what she fears will be a breakup with her boyfriend. You have that really interesting scene where they take mushrooms on their way to the uh, Midsummer Festival. And she's just there having a bad trip. When someone mentions her family or mentions the fact that, um, actually, what was the name of that character that brought them all there in the first place? Um, oh, the, uh, the, the student who was doing this, his thesis. Yeah. Thing, right? Yeah. His dissertation. I forget his name. Yeah. I, I think his actor, I think the actor is William, but I forget the, the character's okay. name. But, you know, we'll call him William for our purposes. When, the character played by uh, William, he uh, mentions something about family during the scene where they're tripping on mushrooms in the forest or in the meadow. Uh, Danny starts to freak out and have a bad trip. And then she ends up running to the porta potty or the outhouse. And she walks by a group of other villagers who she thinks are laughing at them. And this causes her to freak out even more and then eventually see a still image or a still shot of her dead sister behind her in the outhouse uh, in front of the mirror. And that already just kind of set it off for me. Uh, That was such a great way to show that uh, the whole thing is about trying to fight fate and trying to be in control of all the things that we are not in the real world. And this movie does a really interesting job of playing with magical realism Because towards the end, you're not sure if everything was part of a grand design from their pagan deity or if it was just that uh, they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that this guy um, who was part of this village just tricked them into coming to this ritual and being sacrificed and, and, and murdered and all this other stuff. So it does a really great job of leaving that up to the audience of, well, how much of this was actually supernatural or was it all just real? Uh, we're not sure. And that's the beauty of it. It's up to us. But the two main themes were definitely a fight for control and a metaphor for breaking up. And let me tell you, I felt it. I mean, oh, I began to really hate her boyfriend after I think midway through the film. Uh, he just started becoming such a douche. Like he only cared about himself. He, he decided to pursue his PhD thesis um, only after his friend told him that he wanted to do it on the Midsummer Festival. Then as the movie progresses, he shows less and less interest in Danny and then even goes as far as to reject his own friends once they go missing. And the villagers say like, oh, someone, you know, stole the village's sacred ritual book, which we'll get into a little bit later. 
but he just begins to cut alliances, begins to see his true colors towards the end of the film, which leads to a pretty gnarly fate when it comes to his character's end. But yeah, uh, those were the two core themes for me. And just kind of going back to what you were saying about lighting, the last little note I wanted to make was I really love the touch of oversaturation when it came to lighting in this film. Because, again, it added to that effect of everything looking like a fairy tale, like it was a dream world. And I know even in the opening sequence, you have that mural that appears with just a bunch of still images of a moon and a sun and then the the May Queen dancing in the flowers with all the villagers and them setting a building on fire. Like The beginning of the film, the first shot you see, pretty much sums up everything you're going to see at the end of the film. And it's just one of those details I keep mentioning about where it makes the movie even better because you can go back and you can revisit things and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. And he showed it so quickly that I didn't even catch it. That's so cool. Uh, But, yeah, oversaturation of lighting totally added to the film. Like I said, everything was done meticulously, purposefully, and it just made this film so much better. Uh, But, yeah, that's... uh, that's what I think of in terms of the two main themes for this film. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree with all that uh, extension of these themes here. And yeah, we were talking about breaking up being a narrative. They're exploring a lot. It's yeah, it's definitely the fantasy breakup. It's literally, it seems like a fantasy breakup where you could imagine yourself or right, you lost everyone you cared about and your, your last resemblance of, what you cared for is treating you terribly so you travel to this distant land where it's it's always sunny and there are drinks that make you feel funny inside and you get to dance around until you can collapse with all your friends and when you laugh they laugh when you wail and cry they wail and cry and even the most toxic people in your life who are really holding you back from healing in the first place burns up in a bear suit that you know that's definitely you know i I don't think i've read that fairy tale as a kid but i think harry astor wrote it here it's 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 all it's all a fable it's it's hyperbolic revenge fantasy of breaking up with someone who deserves to be broken up um and i've heard some interviews with, with with ari astor and william poulter and the actor who played christian and I feel like two out of three of them also had the same feelings about what the film was about. I feel like Christian's response, the actor who plays Christian, he was very much on more of the side of his own character, not deserving his fate. Um, all his points of like, well, you know, he was he was kind of drugged to do the weird sex slash orgy scene, so it was not really on him and. Clearly, Danny had a bad reaction to breaking up, but I feel like I feel like what I interpret he was saying was missing a point. This is not, hey, he doesn't deserve to literally burn in a bear suit, right? Because it's it's a it's a hyperbole. That that's what it's for. It's saying he he's so toxic. The 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 almost normal way to fantasize breaking up with them is to literally burn ties with them from your life. And so I love how Ariaster who. Um, reportedly was going through his own major breakup while making this film or writing this film. Um, he really examined what it would feel like 
to get this toxicity out of your life. Danny has a smile at the end of the film after her fuckboy boyfriend was burnt up in a fuckboy bear suit. And that's supposed to be cathartic for her. Like, finally, someone who didn't make her feel like she was being held, like one of the characters who was pursuing her said, is out of her life. And these women who will literally cry when she cries make her feel held. Um, she finally found her community. Her family was gone. Her boyfriend was gone. But this new community of odd folks who have odd rituals, really fucked up rituals, make her feel welcome. So as long as you feel that way, that's the kind of healing you need. Um, so I, I like <laughs> I like the lengths he went to make what I perceive to be that point of getting rid of stuff that's toxic in your life, even if it means burning them in a bear suit and accepting people. If they make you feel held, which I really enjoyed. I agree with you. And uh, man, I didn't even know that about Ari Aster. He was going through a breakup at the time. Talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, right around him making this film. Talk about putting pain into a creative outlet. I feel like we should be thanking whoever that person was for uh, breaking his heart because I feel like we got a really <laughs> great film out of it. Yeah, this is like Adele's debut album version of hoping they get a, another breakup because, you know, this is, this is beautiful. He's like the Taylor Swift of filmmakers. If you just break his heart, he comes out with a banger. <laughs> yeah, when I watch Hereditary, I always wanted to know what hurt Ari Aster inside. At least with Midsommar, I got a feeling for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But... uh yeah, we'll, we'll get into more comparisons between Hereditary and, and Midsummer later, but I just want to kind of get into a little bit more of the details of the film uh, in terms of, you know, how everything was explained. So the Midsummer Festival, for all of you who want a quick brush up, was just a celebration of uh, revival and death. Uh, it goes through, it, it goes in great deal, great deal about talking about the community and how they believe that a human's life cycle should be replicated after the four seasons of a year. So you have winter, summer, fall, um, and then spring. And they go throughout the film saying that the children, uh, once they reach a certain age, it represents the, the, a certain time of the year. Uh, I think, I'm not sure which one started, which was if it was fall or summer. But essentially what they said was that once the adults reach the age of 72, uh, they just kill themselves. And you clearly see that in the first part of the festival where these two characters plummet themselves off of a cliff or um, throw themselves off a cliff and plummet to the ground and die. Well, at least the first one dies and then the second one kind of breaks his leg in a really gruesome fashion and then you get some, uh, some really gruesome shots of you know, his head being bashed in by a giant wooden mallet. Um, yeah, yeah. If I ever break my leg, just hit my face with a mallet. That, that'll, I'll, I'll feel better. I, yeah, it, it, I would do it out of respect for you, man. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, no, no, no worries, no worries. But again, it's all about life and rebirth. So to them, these gruesome acts aren't uh, aren't motivated by violence or rage or anything like that. It's just simply their culture, and they believe that they're doing not only themselves, but the earth a favor by making sure that by a certain age, they just return themselves to the planet that gave them life and sustenance. Because according to them, after the age of 72, there's just a lot of suffering and unnecessary illness, 
that you don't need to go through. So what better way to, to get over that than to just, you know, bring yourself back to the earth that gave you life and continue the cycle over and over again. And again, that's a major point of this film is revival and death. And man, I don't even think I was ready mentally for that first scene where they throw themselves off the cliff and it was so bright and beautiful again and then you're just not expecting for that to happen you really feel like you're one of the characters yeah, you when, see the when body they start drop. freaking you out you see the impact <laughs> it's pretty fucked up uh, that, that was the that was like the second big gasp the first one was like a quiet oh the sister killed everyone this one was like what the fuck are we watching again i <laughs> Like, I don't know why we're all surprised, but, um, yeah, you see them go splat. And I had the same reaction those other Americans had who died pretty quickly, actually. Like, the only other tan people in the movie um, that wasn't the the William character <laughs> died pretty quickly. But the way they were shouting was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know how else anyone should react other than what the fuck times nine. <laughs> exactly. And it was the first instance where we see the villagers, quote unquote, sharing the pain of everyone else in their quote-unquote family uh, because as a guy breaks his leg on the fall before he gets his head bashed in, they all start screaming in pain because he's in pain and he's also screaming. So you begin to start to see how they believe in the interconnectedness of the world around them. Mother Nature, humans, it's all one thing. It's all one giant uh, organism, according to them. So if you feel... The pain of one person, that other person will feel your pain in return. So again, it just it kind of makes you do a second guess. Uh, are any of the actions in this movie actually evil or horrifying, or are they just a different opinion from a different culture? And I think that's what makes it even more terrifying. Uh, is that you can see, or at least think about different situations in life where. Yeah, you'd never see yourself personally doing them, but it's not that far-fetched to think that someone else might do them. I know we have this discussion all the time, Randy, and kind of an off-topic thing here. We'll keep it brief, but, you know, the idea of just people's diets, right? The taboos of eating a certain animal versus another just because one is perceived to be cute while the other is culturally important. Uh, I know we've we've discussed like cannibalism coming up in films at times and is cannibalism truly terrifying or if it's just terrifying because we perceive it to be a taboo. Who knows? But this film really does a great job of utilizing what we perceive to be as taboos and flipping it on its head and making a second guess if we're just being ridiculous like the characters are acting or if these people are truly evil and doing something sinister. Uh, so that part just really got to me. I mean, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I, I think it does point out, hey, there are cultural differences, and I think a, a couple of things they do are interesting. Like, I people, I believe people have control of their own life. So, if they wanted to jump off of a cliff at seventy two, while that's pretty tragic, and I wouldn't advise that. Ultimately, if they do it, hey, that that's what they wanted to do. Um, I think this one's interesting because, yeah, they have different cultural differences than the like the surrogate American characters we're perceiving them to have. But I feel like once they started murdering the main characters, I think that's a hard line there of like, you know what? I don't think all their ways are right. 
I think they are crazy and I don't think they should all be um, actually condoned anywhere. Taken literally, um, you know, drugging people, putting period blood in their drink and a piece of pube and then drugging them to have sex with them in a cabin to be impregnated. That's not something I think I'd say, OK, I understand the difference between us on. Um, but, you know, hey, I'm still young. Maybe I'll, I'll feel different in my 30s. Um, but I, I do think it's an interesting examination of culture because um, this culture, while they had horrific rituals, I, I like the little instances where they're sharing grief, like you mentioned, with the, the guy not fully dying and having an awful I broke everything but my life. Please kill me moment. And Danny's character witnessing the infidelity of her boyfriend and everyone crying with her. Um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, that's a, a good sign of, hey, there's a community here that really feels each other. And they have really specific ones, rituals where, I mean, sure, they involve killing some people here and there and forcing people to get them pregnant, yada, yada. But, I mean, they care about each other a lot. <laughs> they dance around. They share pain. Um, and, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I'm not – I'm wonder because, you know, I'm, at this point I'm just theorizing. But Ari Aster definitely put his – his heart and soul and blood into this film. If he has like an equivalent of a community making him feel held, like I guess we all have those people in our lives that can help us go through stuff. But, you know, I'm not sure if he has people who who will literally scream and cry with him at 12 deep. But, you know, that's the kind of connection I want. You know, like <laughs> if I feel it, all my homies are screaming at the same time. That's, that's how, you know, there's love right there. There's a bond, but, you, you alluded to this earlier, the movie, a lot of it was about control with uh, Danny's character not being able to really control a lot of things in her life. But I think a, an interesting part where the cliff divers came in was accepting death because not that her parents should have died or her sister should have died, but when people do die in your life, there's natural grief, but there's also, there has to come a time of acceptance to some degree. And this community literally formed entire rituals around accepting death. Um, so I thought that was interesting take on, hey, people are dead, but here are the positive things about it. As awful as it is, you can still extrapolate something good, whether it's it's accepting what you guys had together or if they were in pain, hey, at least they're not in pain anymore. Um, as terrible as we probably all agree death can be, they at least had this hyperbolic view of it. You know, it it can be okay if you if you accept death. It can be okay. Exactly. And again, it just like I said, plays into the whole. This is just our culture. So for us, death is not a taboo. It's a celebration uh, that brings us closer together as a community. While other people are like, "Holy shit, you guys are murdering bastards. We need to get the hell out of here." So yeah, really love the difference of opinion there. And I think the whole nonchalant attitude of the villagers is what makes them even creepier in the film. Because the whole time they're just smiling and celebrating. But then some pretty terrible things happen to these main characters. Uh, so going, just continuing on with that, man. Uh, let's, just, uh, let's just start talking about the whole structure of the festival. So they say that this particular celebration happens every 90 years. And as the film progresses, you begin to see that all of it is basically part of an ever-changing religion. 
And the person that is head of the religion, or I guess the village shaman, uh, is actually just a deformed kid who is a result of inbreeding. And the reason they do that, according to the people in the film, is that people or kids who are born by inbreeding are more in tune with nature and thus have a stronger spiritual connection that they can use to write out uh, new testaments, I guess is the proper word, or new chapters in their quote-unquote ever-expanding religion. Um, And yeah, the, they show a close-up of it uh, in one of the scenes, and it, it's just a bunch of scribbles and drawings, and the village elder even tells one of the main characters who wants to do his dissertation on the Midsummer Festival. He's like, yeah, uh, he just draws what he feels, and we interpret the rest, which was wild to me because this kid throughout the whole film, he just looks deformed, and he doesn't actually say anything ever, but... You have these village elders interpreting it as, hey, let's sacrifice all of these people to this deity that we worship, and we're going to do it in some pretty you know, gruesome ways. So to me, it was also a statement on how currently, when it comes to politics or religion, it's all very subjective. We choose to believe things even if they sound ridiculous, because that's just our choice. Uh, you have people like in the past who followed Jim Jones and they all drank, uh, I believe it was the, uh, the poison Kool-Aid. I guess that's where that saying comes from because they believe that uh, heaven awaited them in their death. Uh, so you just have you know a commentary on just the lengths that people will go to uh, to be part of a community and to... Uh, feel like their faith or their worship is validated. So again, that's what added to the terror of the film was just there was an added political subtext there that I felt was a little bit missed. Uh, but again, there's just so much in this film that you can return to and just analyze again and again and again. But I just wanted to pick your brain on that too because I'm not sure if that hit you when you were watching it, but did you feel like there was some political subtext when it came to them explaining the whole religion and why they do the festival in the first place? A little bit. I think it's more religious subtext of regardless of whatever we deem we're deriving our source information from, we're just going to alter it however we want. So not even like a difference of an opinion. It's literally, okay, the place we say we get our source information says this. So I'm going to say this thing I already plan on saying anyways. Um, so I think it's, it's way more religious um, than anything if you want to get into what the rituals kind of represented. Um, so while a lot of the movie was Danny just finding acceptance in the hyperbole, um, yeah, this is an example of if you take any religion and you really play out some of the things they believed in, then it would probably sound as crazy as people jumping off of a cliff at age 72 because it's good for everybody. Um, so then, yeah, I think there's a lot of religious com- um, comparables uh, um, co- or things you can compare to, at least, um, whether it's the Bible being their sacred text or, um, you know, the cross is a symbol of, you know, sacrifice and redemption of sins and in this one, I believe they had a, a sacred tree, right? That represented the, the past lives of the ancestors. Yeah, the ancestral like tree. That. And then yeah, someone yeah, comes exactly. and pisses on it. But go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that. Like, 
people literally piss on other people's beliefs you know literally and you know probably less often than figuratively um but in this movie they literally do piss on that and you know they kind of respond accordingly they're extremely offended and you know i disagree with probably most religion out there but i won't literally piss on what they believe on just figuratively so it's something to keep in mind of, you know, what if you're if you're going to be completely disrespectful in a culture that you agree to immerse yourself in, then we retain the ability to pull your lungs out of your back. So they're still connected and breathing and you might still be alive, too, and you will suffer pain beyond your um, limits of being able to fathom it. That was such a cool scene, by the way. Just the the man the when they did the blood wings on that one English character, uh, man, what? Because uh, because the whole thing was based off of, and they mentioned it several times, of Viking, their Viking past and how Vikings were conquerors and they worshipped their gods and made sacrifices. Uh, I was not expecting blood wings to make an appearance, and it's honestly one of the most gruesome ways that the Vikings used to kill people is they would pull their lungs out of their rib cage. And uh, watch them die a slow and painful death. And they show that in this film with one of the characters towards the end. They show him suspended by ropes, I believe. And he had the blood wings ritual performed on him. And at the same time, they have like beautiful, colorful flowers where his eyes are. uh, To just kind of make it seem like they did this beautiful, ceremonious act to him. But the dude literally died... Probably one of the most gruesome th- deaths I can possibly think of. So yeah, that was pretty disturbing. Yeah, no, that was that was the most fucked up thing I've seen in a while. Um, really cool. I never seen that before. I had to look it up after I saw it too, and I didn't know that was an actual thing. But yeah, it's pretty fucked up. And they had a really good, sh- uh, you know, shot of it, like an overview of you can see the lungs still pumping in air, and it's like, what the fuck, Harry Astor. You could have killed him in any other way, but you chose this one. And for that, I I applaud your work, sir. (laughs) I applaud. I agree. Now, there was, well, we'll get to that in a a little bit, but I did also want to just go over, do a quick recap of the, the deaths of these main characters. So you have the first death, which is, I believe, uh, the English kid, he goes missing. The one that gets the blood wings performed on him later on in the film. He, he well, disappears. Well, well, before that, we had the two uh, non-main character tan people go missing, right? So we have the male character go missing, presumably killed then. And then his girlfriend goes missing, presumably killed then. Yeah, and I believe he's the one that gets the blood wings on him, right? I thought it was the uh the comic relief dude. Um Oh, Will William Poulter's character. No, I think I thought it was his. Which I'm one pre- was I'm pretty sure he's his death is the after he pisses on the ancestral tree. I believe the one character he thought was gonna kill him actually did, and he shows up later wearing his skin as an outfit. So I think that was oh, William Poulter's okay. death. Right yeah. There, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, spoiler alert, uh, that was the other death. Uh, so we have William Poulter's character getting murdered off screen. 
uh, being seduced by a female and taken away. And then we never see him until later. Uh, he gets his skin peeled off his body. And the guy wears it as a suit because he's mad that he pissed on the ancestral tree. And uh, then the other character, whose name I forget, but his, he was the one who was most knowledgeable on everything other than Pell, who was the native of the villager of the village. Uh, he gets killed because he just can't uh, take no for an answer in terms of not being able to take pictures and document what the ritual book says. Uh, so he goes into the this hut-looking thing uh, where all of the religious texts are kept and he tries to take pictures. Um, and I believe Pell is the one who sneaks up behind him and hits him with a hammer, the same hammer we see used to kill the uh, old... Uh, elders who throw themselves off the cliff. Uh, so he gets murdered that way uh, and then gets his body dragged off screen. And later on, the villagers tell the remaining characters, Danny and her boyfriend, Christian, right? That's his name. Yeah. He, uh, he gets told that the dude disappeared and stole the religious subtext and that they would like it back if they know anything. And Christian's just like, nope, sorry. I can't believe they would do something so terrible, but just know that we're not affiliated with them anymore in any way. And it just kind of reaffirms Christian's douchiness because he's literally abandoning his closest friends just on a whim of wanting to do a thesis last minute or pursue an idea last minute for his thesis uh, so again, just shows him being a terrible human being, and then yeah, he's the ultimate American fuckboy. That's how I classified him. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's that's a really good description. A classic American fuckboy. Um, but yeah, he uh, he completely rejects his friends at that point, and then we get to probably one of the weirdest scenes in the movie, where uh, Danny gets recruited to be part of what's called the May Queen. Uh, competition and it's just her dancing around and doing all these other games for the entire day uh, to see who the last woman in the village is standing and whoever is the last woman standing she gets crowned as the May Queen and it's the May Queen's responsibility to perform a bunch of rituals that uh, bring blessings to the village to the community and to promote um, fertility of crops and, and all these other things uh, so she wins that competition, and then her boyfriend gets drugged, uh, and essentially, I want to say date raped. I think that's an apt term for what happened. He got date raped by uh, by some red Kool Aid, so to speak. Uh, but they gave him some drink that just made him really out of it, really loopy, and then he proceeds to engage in sexual intercourse with Pell's younger sister, who apparently has taken a liking to him and he just embarks on this weird sexual journey where even the girl's mother uh oddly enough helps you know with the uh copulation so to speak uh even is that not is that not normal by the way like uh, the woman's mother isn't there encouraging you to to keep going just trying to get a temperature check here uh, you know, Gaze room. I'm not sure. You guys tell us in the comment section. Is that a normal thing? I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> I would be mortified to look at anybody's O face uh, that isn't my partner's. So that's just me. Call me old fashioned. I don't know. But 
<laughs> Long story short, he does this ritual, and once it's done, he runs out of the building that he's in, and he realizes that he's been caught by his girlfriend, Danny, and she's just there freaking out in a different part of the village with her fellow May Queen sisters. And as she's crying, they're crying. And then it goes on to pan back to the boyfriend who tries to escape the village and ends up finding all his dead homies um, and what happened to them. Uh, so the guy who you know, tried to take the pictures of the religious text, he finds him buried face down with his foot sticking out of the ground. He finds the one English uh, boyfriend uh, with the blood wings in one of, in a separate hut. And uh, then he uh, tries to run away and gets knocked out by some weird herbs. By the way, I feel like the villagers in this this entire community, they just had herb for everything, for every purpose. Dude, they stay turned the entire movie. It's like, yo, you want another like weird cocktail roofie drink? Because we on our seventh over here. And you feel rude to say no, so everyone just stays turned. Exactly. Like they, they just have a drink for every occasion. It's it's actually impressive. Really impressive. But actually I think little John missed an opportunity to do some throwback call product placement with crunk juice. I think all that should have been crunk juice labeled, by the way. It's true. I think the Swedes actually can be credited with creating crunk. The genre <laughs> of the, crunk. The music. originators of crunk. <laughs> exactly. It's fucking Swedish hotties out there, man. Stay crunk. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he gets knocked out and then we finally see the finale of the film, which gave me really big wicker man vibes. I thought, you know, man, this, this is it. Like this is the wicker man ending and they just take it to another level. So at the end you see that Christian or yeah, Danny's boyfriend wakes up, but all he can do is open his eyes. And he gets told by one of the villagers, oh, you're awake. Uh, We gave you a sedative where you can't uh, move, you can't speak, you can't do anything, but you can feel everything. Uh, But you're going to observe the end of this festival. And essentially, the the difference between their yearly festival and this 90-year festival is that the whole purpose of this 90-year festival is to sacrifice, I believe it was eight people? Am I right on that, Randy? I forget. Um, More than eight would probably need to, but it might have been eight. Yeah, so I'm going to tentatively say eight here. Uh, They need to sacrifice a certain amount of people to their deity so that they can get another 90 years of prosperity. And, you know, the friends make up, I think, five or six of the sacrifices of the main characters. And then two get chosen at random, one of them from the villagers that are there, and the other one is Danny's choice. And Danny, because of what she observed her boyfriend doing, and in a fit of rage, chooses him to be the final sacrifice. So in that final moment, they show what ends up happening to all of them, and Danny's boyfriend gets sewn into a bear suit. Uh, and that is just as weird as it sounds, people. Uh, he gets literally taken and sewn into the carcass of a dead uh, brown bear. And then he gets placed inside of a yellow building, which we were told early on in the film no one was allowed to go into. Uh, he gets placed at the center. 
and around him you see the other sacrifices and this is the part to me that really sets everything in its like proper place for the finale because you see him in the bear suit in the center but then as the bodies of the dead victims are being gathered to be brought in there with him you see that they're all prepared in different ways and what i mean by prepared is their bodies are dressed and adorned in very distinct fashions so you see will poulter's character he's wearing like a jester's cap and to me that symbolized that he represented the fool he was the fool of that ritual and again like giving me cabin in the woods vibes here each one of these characters had a very important role to play and they played them perfectly and that's why they were killed uh so william poulter pissed on the ancestral tree the whole movie just seemed like he didn't care and he was a fool so how what a, what better way to portray them with than with a jester's cap then the friend who wanted to do, go there to do his dissertation uh who tried to take pictures of the religious texts he was shown to have flowers and twigs stuffed in his mouth and eyes just to kind of show that that was what led to his death the fact that he needed to see and know everything and it eventually blinded him and then you have the other characters with uh, apples shoved in their stomachs, fruits shoved in their stomachs. Then the other one had twigs and and plants, uh, I believe plants and flowers stuffed into their arms. So all around you see that each one of these characters played their role perfectly. They were all meant to do a certain thing and it, it was needed for the ritual. And that's where I think the whole debate of was it supernatural or was it ultimately um, just pure coincidence that they were recruited for this this ritual? Because honestly, and this question leaves, I was left pondering this question at the end. Had those characters done anything different, would the villagers have just let them live and not completed the ceremony? Um, and, and I'm not sure we'll ever get the answer to that. And maybe that's the beauty of it. Maybe we can decide that. But uh, to me, that really showed that in a way like Hereditary, it could have been that these characters were doomed to die from the start. And that makes it even more tragic. Or it was their own ignorance and unwillingness to change as people that ultimately led them down their demise, down the road to their demise. Uh, so that was just the beauty of that scene for me. And then at the end, you see them all get set on fire. Uh, and then, you know, Christian's getting burned in the bear suit while he's alive. Again, not able to react or feel anything. And you see him slowly melting away in the flames while uh, the other villagers who are still alive in there are screaming from being burned as well. And that last scene is probably the most haunting Outside of the hut, you see all of the villagers also screaming out in pain for their fellow comrades inside. And then you see Danny, who goes from crying to having a really devious and evil smirk on her face. And to me, that can mean many things. Uh, most importantly, I think it could mean one of two things. It could mean that she's finally found that family that she lost in the beginning of the film that she finally feels like she belongs and she's in a, in a quote unquote relationship with people where she can truly connect with and be a part of a group. 
Or it could also mean that uh, the whole time, just like the interpretations of the elders to the religious text, uh, they just picked the wrong one for the May Queen. And it turns out that she is turned evil and she is, in a, in a way, not violating, but she's changing uh, the meaning of the whole ritual with her actions being selfish and, and, and influenced by wickedness. So I'm not sure which one of those is correct. It could be none of those are correct. I'm not sure if you thought of anything new with that ending, Randy, but uh, yeah, those were the yeah. main points the finale had for me. Yeah, no, I, I, I got, well, I guess to start, I got zero sense of supernatural. So that was interesting. You, you felt you got the vibe of it could have been supernatural or it could have been just the, these pagan people. I 100% just felt like it was just pagan people following a ritual that led to these deaths. Because nothing they really did pointed out something that could have been hinted as supernatural. Um, all, all the rituals just seem like interpretations of we do this for we believe this happens, much like religion. So I, I felt like, you know, the, the the kid bred from incest, him writing these scribbles and people interpreting them. That like I feel like you can read into that pretty literally, just people doing things and believing it, it changes. So I, I never felt anything supernatural about it. it definitely felt like rituals that have very violent endings um to different aspects of them and i also didn't feel like danny's expression was evil at all um it, it did take me a while to inter- like to really interpret how i felt that ending was going for but i i never felt like she was turning to the dark side because i very much felt like this was her fairy tale and the fairy tale was there's this toxic cloud above you and it involves terrible situations terrible people terrible luck and how do you get rid of that other than completely um changing your outlook you know the 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 movie starts in darkness and the rest of it is in light when she comes to this new swedish community Um, so i never felt like the actual ritual should be should have been taken seriously when it comes to what danny danny got out of this but i feel like it was more of okay she needs to get rid of these toxic people the boyfriend that doesn't care about her, his friends who also don't care about her, they just encourage the boyfriend to do, you know, shittier things to Danny or just to reject her altogether. And I felt like once all those people were literally cleansed from her life, she got catharticism in that now she can move on, heal, be her full self. So I never got the interpretation of, you know, you know, evil rituals finally winning over Danny and that, you know, her smirk is anything that's uh, malevolent, but it was all catharticism. It was joy. It was happiness. And she did what she needed to do in a hyperbolic way was get rid of someone toxic, toxic in her life. But that's, you know, that's just relief, baby. That's just, that's just a good time to get those people out of there, out of your life. And, um, I don't, I don't normally have the, I guess, the segue to put someone in a bear suit and burn them alive, nor have I ever had the urge to do that. But if you want to get rid of toxic people, I mean, it, is there a better way? Is there a more efficient way? Probably. Better way? Not, I'm not sure. Yeah, you just Dracarys them. Just say Dracarys and boom. That's it. That's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think I think my favorite, we were talking about how the the shots kind of informed the narrative and it also just kind of informed the the viewers emotions um this is a you know pretty low key shot but when they were entering the swedish backcountry area 
you just see a shot down the road and then the camera flips to a 180 degree and the road is now the sky and the sky is a road and they keep it on there for like maybe 10 15 seconds but that definitely set the tone of if the first act included uh murder suicide and we don't know what's going to come for this film then this shot told me that we are going to be disorientated the entire time that's exactly what happened from there on was everything we were introduced with the swedish community and all the stuff that was happening to the characters felt pretty backwards felt upside down and that i think that's my favorite shot of the film is just that upside down um kind of long 10 15 second take down the road that said yeah you're going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to really sure how you feel about what you see. And you're going to be there for two and a half hours. Did you have any maybe favorite shots that kind of linger in your mind from this film? Uh, man. Uh, yes, actually. The, I did mention previously that everything in the shots for Ari have always been meticulously planned. And there's two instances where having seen the ending, I've in my mind went back and I was like, oh man, okay, that makes perfect sense. So there's one scene where uh, I believe Danny's first introduced after mourning the death of her family. She wakes up on, I think it's a couch and it's daylight. And she, um, she has this painting of a, of a girl wearing a crown of flowers, uh, playing with a grizzly bear in one of the paintings. And that's perfect symbolism for what ends up happening to her later on where uh, the bear being symbolized by her boyfriend, you know, her being the little girl with the crown of flowers alluding to her becoming the May Queen just shows that it, she will struggle with that relationship. She's, you know, interacting with that bear, um, but she's meant for so much more. Her purpose is so much greater and eventually, you know, she purges herself of it, but it was great foreshadowing to show that painting in the background. Uh, and, you know, it essentially gives away a huge part of the movie uh, if you know what to look for ahead of time, which you wouldn't. But it's just kind of cool that he would give you such a big spoiler so early on in the film with that just that scene of the painting in the background. Um, and then there's another instance uh, of foreshadowing where Danny is arguing with her boyfriend about him traveling to Sweden because they, you know, she had just found out about it last minute while they're at that party, um, in the beginning of the film. And, um, she has again above her computer desk, a portrait of what appears to be a bunch of people jumping off of a cliff into the water. And again, that just shows how the fate of the characters is literally going to be them being submersed into a situation that is deadly and dangerous. Um, and then also foreshadowing how later on people will be throwing themselves off of cliffs and killing themselves as part of a ritual. Uh, so those are two just really meticulously planned shots that I think were absolutely beautiful. Um, there's even some some cool stuff during that scene where they're arguing about the trip where there's a mirror behind Danny or next to Danny. And you can only see the reflection of the boyfriend uh, during that shot to kind of show how... You know, really, the relationship's already over. Uh, it's just a reflection of the past for her um, that she needs to get over. So, again, really love the, the directorial moves of Ari Aster in this film, which really just brings me to really the last thing I wanted to debate with you here, and that's Hereditary. Comparing these two films, there's a lot of things that 
overlap, but there's also a lot of things that contrast as well. And I think one of those main points of debate was that in Hereditary, you find out, and again, spoiler warning, uh, that the fate of these characters was sealed from day one. Nothing they did would have made any difference. Everything was planned out uh, exactly to how they were going to die and to what purpose they were dying for, uh, which, again, made it really tragic. And then in this film, again, uh, I know we just disagreed on it, but they, the argument could be made that, again, these characters... Fate was sealed the moment they decided to go on this trip and nothing they did would have changed that outcome. So you see a lot of overlap there. But where I also see contrast in these two films uh, is that to me, Hereditary, I believe, took place mostly at night. And there was a lot of scenes in the dark, especially in that creepy ass scene where Tony Collette's character is just chilling on the ceiling. Probably one of the creepiest scenes I've ever seen in a horror film, uh, watching her son sleep. Uh, in that climactic uh, final act. But most of Hereditary for me takes place at night, whereas in this movie it takes place mostly during the day uh, and in the light. So it's almost like Ari is trying to tell us with these two films that they're both two sides of the same coin. He uh, found a way to terrify you with dark shots as well as terrify you with shots during you know ups- like extreme light and day. Uh But to me, the message is still very similar in both of these films. Uh, If I had to pick which one was my favorite between the two, I would say Hereditary was the scarier film. But I think in terms of cinematography, writing, and character development, uh, Midsummer takes the cake. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, yeah, a few things. Um, Yeah, I I guess we, we disagree on if it could be interpreted as they were faded, and a lot of that was tied through through their potential supernatural rituals. But I think we both agree that, or at least I believe, their fate was sealed. But it wasn't because of a supernatural thing. Hereditary took that route of um, you're literally inheriting the downfalls of your ancestors, and you're going to pay for them. I think Midsommar does a similar thing where they already had a pre-planned ritual. And their their scheming always were going to lead those characters to die. Um, they, they even praised the um, the returning um, character who was returning home and was kind of surrogate to the community. They praised him for bringing all these sacrifices to the to the village. So I do think they they purposely went out to seduce um, foreigners to bring them back to the community. Um, but yeah, I think everybody plays that theme a lot in both these movies. Um, I I guess when it comes to which movie I like better, um, I, I think I agree with what you liked about both of these movies. I think Hereditary is hands down a scarier movie. Uh, you, you mentioned both of our favorite scenes of the mother chilling in the corner, um, was watching her son for two minutes. Talk about slow burn, but they left that camera on her for two to three minutes so everyone can slowly realize what the fuck is happening. But also they, they have, I feel like Hereditary deals with grief better. So while I think I, I praise uh, the sophomore Ari Aster film, Midsommar, in dealing with how to get out of toxic relationships pretty well, I think grief is handled way more intensely in Hereditary. Um, they have a similar scene, both the mother losing her daughter and in Hereditary, and in Midsommar, the daughter losing her, her other family. Um those are both pretty similar in the wailing cries 
of these women who've lost people close to them. But I think Hereditary has so much more of that within it, how it affects the psyche of people, how it literally can lead a family to fall prey to what was already plaguing them before in, in, in these um, you know, mental illnesses that were uh, afflicting a lot of them took a supernatural form and ended them all. Um, I think Midsommar in return, it's while Hereditary is scarier, Midsommar is a funny movie. It is a literal funny. I think we gasped as much as we laughed in the theater. I, I saw this movie in. And it was interesting because it, the humor wasn't purely for um, relief sake. I think it did inherently play that role, but it made it feel all the more disturbing to be able to laugh at scenes where we've already we already know terrible stuff is going to happen. Even with the weird stuff of Christian's character having sex with the one girl who chose him and all these village women are just wooing with them all naked. We're laughing like those shots were cut in a way where it felt like a sitcom and where you're both you and the character are saying, what the fuck is happening? So I thought it was an interesting use of humor that Hereditary definitely did not have. There was very little humorous moments in Hereditary. Um, we're, we're both big horror fans, but I think I'll I'll give it to Hereditary in terms of which movie I think um, I liked more. Um, it was definitely a scary film. When it comes to themes I was interested in, I like grief. That's a hard one to tackle uniquely. I think Hereditary did it in a better way. Um, I do think the shots in the cinematography was really crisp and definitely evolved in Midsommar. But when it comes to a, a film that I think does better at the main characters they're portraying, diving into their psyche, mainly the the mother, the son, and the daughter, I think those three characters were better fleshed out in Hereditary than Christian, Danny, and the rest of the collective. While I do still like Danny and Christian's character. I really enjoyed what they did with Hereditary. So I'll give it to that one. But it's pretty much like a a 60-40 split. Um, I think both movies are like above an 8 out of a 10 for me, for Ari Aster. So, you know, we're probably going to do an end-of-the-year top 10 movie list. But it's going to be difficult for me not to place these two movies, or, or Midsommar, on this list for 2019. Completely agree. And they're both just really great films. I, I I mean, we pick one over the other, but honestly, like I said, they're two sides of the same coin and they're just brilliantly filmed movies that can be watched in pairs. And you can, you can actually, I, I think they should be watched in pairs because they just overlap so well in terms of the overall message and tone of how everything is uh, plays out. Um, but do you have any finishing thoughts on just Ari Aster? I think it's kind of funny that the next thing he wants to do is a comedy uh, because you can kind of see those comedic tones in this movie. Uh, but him and Jordan Peele kind of doing it big, loving this new era yeah. of thriller slash horror that we're getting. I think it's funny that Jordan Peele started with comedy and then went to horror and Ari Aster's, you know, doing the opposite route. But uh, yeah, what a time to be alive for horror fans. Uh, I feel like we're getting a bit of a resurgence here. Yeah, it's, it's a new renaissance of horror coming. Um, led by people I didn't think would do this even five years ago because I didn't think Jordan Peele could cross over to horror, and I didn't know who Ari Aster was. Um, but you brought up Jordan Peele. So this is a question I've been asking myself lately. 
they both have two major directorial movies. Um, Jordan Peele versus Ari Aster. Who do you think in their uh, movie repertoire um, has a collective better films than the other? You know, it's really tough. Jordan Peele has been doing writing and acting and sketches for well over, I think, two decades at this point. Um, he uh, He's just a really talented guy. Ari Aster, I don't know him from anything before Hereditary. He had a, a, a few a short films I at least know about before, it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, so I'll definitely check those out, but... Uh, to me, they're actually the best. It has the best problem because I don't even think that they can be compared uh, personally. And if I'm just comparing us and Get Out to uh, Midsummer and Hereditary, to me, the Jordan Peele films feel more uh, dystopian. They definitely feel uh, like they're more sci-fi, not pure sci-fi, but they have more like. Um, scientific supernatural elements to them whereas Ari Aster is more of psychological terror in my opinion um, so to me they have two totally different tones uh, when I watch the Jordan Peele movies and again you know this could be biased from the fact that he was in the Twilight Zone remake but uh, I feel like those movies felt like one big episode of the Twilight Zone uh, which is great but uh, I did not get that same vibe from the Ari Aster films uh, so to me, they're kind of too different to really make a comparison like that. They're both great in their own right. Uh, but if I had to just base it solely on horror, uh, I will actually. Well, like in general, I'll say like this collect, like even if they were comedies, I'm just curious, like which one would you rather do without? Like in terms of me just working with them or just their collective body of work? Well, yeah, just like like I don't want to set the tone of like which one's more terrifying or horrific, but yeah, like overall, you're rating both movies, you're comparing collectively both of them to the other. Which ones do you think are better movies? Because they are in different, slightly different genres. I agree, but yeah, collectively, which like Gun to Head, you have to remove one, you have to snap them like Thanos from existence. Like two of those movies, uh, which body of catalog do you want to keep? I have to say the Ari Aster films, they just, um, they offer, they just offer a little bit of everything. There's just the terror, the cinematography is on point. Character development is fantastic. There's so much attention to detail. Um, when I saw Hereditary, I legitimately thought, all right, here's a horror film that has a, a legit shot at contending for some kind of Oscar nomination. Um, I love the Jordan Peele films, but I did not get that same feeling from them. Uh, so I have to go with uh, with Aster on this one. Well, I, I'd say, like, like you're bringing up pretty good points as to it's hard to compare which one is actually worth keeping in the existence. I think I'm going to go with Jordan Peele actually, even though Hereditary is one of my favorite horror mills or horror, horror films of the last. I don't know, two decades. I think we've never gotten something we've gotten with Jordan Peele. Um, I feel like the folk horror of Midsommar is brilliant. It it did have uh, familiar tones of the Wicker Man or 
The Apostle, which is on Netflix right now, definitely recommend it. Or even The Ritual, which is also on Netflix. I feel like I haven't seen a movie like Get like Get Out before, really. And they're 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 pretty even in terms of quality. I think both of them are like between eight and a ten, uh, between eight out of ten for both Get Out, Us, and Hereditary in Midsommar. But I think one thing that'll tip the scales is representation. Um, Ari Aster's films are very white films. And by nature, a lot of them are pretty internal. So we have a a family. So, of course, they're going to be, you know, mostly from the same background. And they are in Hereditary. And Midsommar, which depicts this backcountry ritual in Sweden, which, of course, is going to be inherently probably very white. Um, so I think the one tipping scale I would give it is that I, I enjoy the sci-fi Twilight Zone take Jordan Peele has with his films that I haven't seen in a while in big block uh, blockbuster films, but also representation. It's they're more diverse films. We don't really we've seen white people get terrorized in a wooded area before. Um, haven't really seen these other types of characters um, get put through the ringer in these types of movies. So. Uh, I love both Astor's works, both Peels. I think if you would, if I would have posed this question yesterday, I would have said let's keep Ari Astor's. But I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling Jordan Peel. You know, you're Midsummer, I'm Midsommar. Jordan Peel, Ari Astor, but you know, great. No matter how you look at it, man, it's great. It's great. It's a great problem to have. Like, oh no, I have all these great films to choose from. It's ridiculous. Oh, woe is me. Yeah, if you want this amazing thing or that amazing thing. It's, exactly. I love it. So uh, I just have one more closing thought here uh, before I leave it to you. Uh, I found out that for the Blu-ray, you know, Ultra HD digital download release of uh, of Midsummer, Ari was planning on releasing a uncut version with an extra 30 minutes uh, to kind of explain the whole story and, and add little tidbits here and there. Uh, so actually I'm looking forward to that. It's just one of those movies where I feel like more detail will clarify a few things such as, you know, was it a little bit supernatural? Was it all just, uh, a byproduct of these people having a, uh, really subjective belief system? Um, you know, all those answers, I feel like we might be able to get from, uh, from that bonus content, uh, which I am curious for, uh, because again, you know, the, a lot of the film deals with control and Danny trying to keep control, and then at the end you realize that um, she releases control to a certain extent and then achieves true happiness um, and finds a family that she can connect with. Uh, so I would love to hear, um, I would love to see if that bonus content can can alleviate some of those questions um, and at the same time, you know, just commentary and stuff like that. Just hearing the thought process behind how he planned out his shots and why he included the things he did. Always interesting for fellow filmmakers like us. Um, and, you know, just, just for, you know, people who just really love these films uh, can get kind of an insider look on on the purpose of everything and, and why things were done in a certain way. So, yeah, looking forward to all of that. Uh, but all in all, great movie. Um, I don't mind them adding an extra 30 minutes, making it three hours as long as I can... Uh, Again, discover new things about the the world that they built here. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I actually I heard from Ari Aster the original cut. There's always an original cut that's way too long, but it was three and a half hours. 
Um, and his his original pick was his three hour version of the movie. But ultimately, as a team, they felt like it was more consumable at two and a half hours. So I'm I'm with you. I'm curious as to what Ari Aster originally felt should have been the the feature debut. Because um, I'm pretty sure it's going to disturb me in great ways. In all the best ways. And on that note, uh, thank you everyone for joining us, Randy. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you plug us here. But uh... yeah, um, yeah. You know, us just even mentioning Hereditary throughout this podcast. I think we need to do like a retrospective review of that movie. Um, also, it'll give me an excuse to watch it again at night, which I really haven't done since I first saw it because it's fucking terrifying. But until then, thanks for joining us today. Feel free to reach out to us at aftertheactpodcast at gmail.com. Find us wherever you typically listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, etc. And tune in next time where I believe we might be counting down our respective top 10 movies of the MCU. Which, you know, it's pretty much an excuse to, for us to geek out for about two hours about superheroes. And I fucking love that. So until then, thanks for joining us, everyone. Perfect.